This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. We firmly believe that the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged children is for us parents to focus on the same things in our own lives, to be happy, healthy, engaged, and aware. And we can be the people that we want our kids to become. And by having this awareness, we can choose our own vision of successful parenting for our children and our grandchildren. Today's show is called 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest, Amy Morin. Amy is a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, and an instructor at Northeastern University. She serves as parenting expert for Very Well and is a columnist for Forbes and Psychology Today. She's also a therapeutic foster parent. Her 2013 article, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, became a viral sensation, more than 50 million views, which led to her best-selling book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, an amazing TED Talk, which has also gone viral. And as you can imagine, she is a popular speaker. Um, Her TED Talks continue to uh, push up the numbers, and she is an advice. uh, She gives advice and has been featured on major media outlets such as Parenting, Time, Fox News, CNN, and Oprah.com. I am very happy to welcome Amy to the show. Hello, Amy. Hello, thanks for having me. You are very welcome. So tell us how this all started. Where did this stuff come from? Well, you know, I think as a therapist over the years, I had really realized that it wasn't always about what people did. Sometimes it was more about what they didn't do when it came to overcoming things or bouncing back from setbacks. So it was something that I'd always really thought about. And in my therapy office, but I really, in the beginning of my career, I thought my journey was meant to teach other people about mental strength, but I had no idea how much I was going to need mental strength in my own life. And I went through a series of things. My mother passed away when I was 23. And then on the three-year anniversary of her death, my 26-year-old husband died of a heart attack. And then a few years later, I I was able to get remarried and I found love again. But then my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I I was just in this place where I was thinking, this isn't fair. Why do I have to go through all this? And I keep losing people in my life. 
And I realized, okay, well, that's not helpful thinking that way. We'll just keep you stuck. And mentally strong people don't do that. So I sat down and I wrote a list and it was a letter to myself of all the things that mentally strong people don't do. And when I was done, I had a list of 13 things. And I was would read over that list while I was going through all of this and think, okay, just don't do these things. And then I thought, well, if this list is helpful to me, maybe it could be helpful to somebody else. So I published it on the web, sort of on a whim, thinking maybe a few people would read it. I had no idea that it would eventually be read by millions of people or that it would turn into a couple of books and years later, we'd still be talking about that list. And you know, it's what wonderful about uh, this list is it focuses on the don'ts, you know, and a lot of people are always focused on the do's, which you do talk about in your TED talk, like all the things that we should be doing, we should be grateful, you know, we should think positively, but how much these little micro don'ts can actually turn into huge obstacles in our lives. Yeah, I think it's so it can be stressful sometimes to think of all the things you need to do. But sometimes it just takes one or two little bad habits to keep you stuck. And if you can get rid of those things, then your good habits become much more effective. And I'm a big fan of saying, let's work smarter, not just harder. And when you get Mm -hmm. rid of those bad habits, life just starts to get better and you get this momentum and then you can keep moving forward. So you have this best-selling book, 13 Things uh, Mentally Strong People Don't Do, and then all of a sudden you have a um, new, um, I'm sure going to be uh, in process of best-selling book called uh, Mentally Strong Things That Parents Don't Do. How did, where did this transition come from, from people to parents? Well, after my first book came out, I just kept getting the same question over and over again from readers who just kept saying, this is great and I wished I'd learned this at a younger age. How can we start teaching this to kids? And I knew that I could write a kid's book or a book for teens, but I thought, you know, it's really up to the parents because parents are the ones who are in there right in the moment and that you can teach your child so that when your child doesn't make the soccer team or when your child fails a math test or it's going through tough times, you can turn those opportunities into mental strength, but kids need coaching. And so I really wanted to help parents learn how to become mental strength coaches for their kids. And that's what I was aiming to do when I wrote this book to say, okay, as parents, if you don't do certain things, you'll give your child opportunities to become stronger. So let's dive into them because uh, I I strongly suggest that everyone go out and get this book. And I think uh, as we you hear these, uh, some of these, we're going to hit as many as we can, but I- I've highlighted a few of them which are just wonderfully thought-provoking. So here's one thing that you say don't do. Don't make children the center of the universe. And so far, that's the one that I've gotten the most comments from people on because a lot of parents will say, well, shouldn't I make my child the center of the universe? Shouldn't everything in my life revolve around my child? But I think that parents take that so far sometimes that they Mm -hmm. are raising kids who grow up thinking that the entire universe revolves around them. And absolutely, your life should change when you have kids and you should make sure that your kids are a top priority in your life. But you also don't want your kids to think, okay, when I want something, I get it just because I said, hey, I want that or whatever, however I want to spend the weekends, my parents will do it for me because I'm the most important thing in the world. And I think that's really detrimental to kids. And we're seeing some of the effects of what happens when kids grow up with that mentality. Absolutely. And I thought, I think of what you talk about how, um, you know, the life's not fair mentality that we have. And I think that 
comes naturally to all of us who where, where things happen where we don't think they should and things you know we work hard and we don't get the results but i imagine that if we're making our kids the center of the universe and giving and giving and giving regardless it it, it probably makes that type of thinking way worse and entrenched it does and we're seeing you know kids who are self-absorbed they're entitled they're growing up narcissistic because they're thinking that you know, all I had to do was say jump and my parents said how high and it's really unhealthy. And for kids to know that, yes, you're important and your parents value you and you have a really important role in this family. But at the same time, you're not the only person in the family. And you want to teach kids that, that it's really about remembering that you are a member of the family, but that the entire family's weekend activities or after school activities don't have to just be about you and that parents can be a good role model and say, even though I'm a parent, I'm also a friend or I'm somebody's daughter too. And our lives are going to be about giving to those people and putting time into being a good role model so I can take care of myself, not just always take care of the kids. Absolutely, which gets totally relates to our parent footprint, what our mission of, um, you know, be that person that you want your kid to become, like show them that you are engaged in your life and that you also live for you, not just for everybody else. Yeah, that's really a, a healthy thing. And I think for so many parents, though, they feel guilty or they feel like they can't do that. And and so they don't or they feel like good parents give their kids everything. And so somehow if they don't make sure that they put their kid on every team or involve them in every activity, they feel like they're somehow less than. Well, and that you just led us to the next one that I was bring up, the next don't. So the next don't that you say is don't parent out of guilt. So, right, these things can go together, making our kids the center of the universe and because we feel guilty? Yes, and I, there's a study that talks about how many parents spend more money than they have over the holidays because they think, I don't want my child to feel bad because he doesn't get as many gifts as his friends. Or I don't want my kids to wake up in the morning thinking that I didn't buy them enough presents. And the statistic is something like 80% of parents spend more than they think they should just because they say, mm -hmm. I don't want to feel guilty on Christmas Day or another holiday. And that also goes along with when parents struggle to say no or they say no, but then they cave in later so that if their child is whining and eventually they say, okay, okay, fine, you can have that. And then they teach their child, it's okay to whine or actually it's good to whine because whining gets you what you want. And rather than making that decision about what's best for my child right now, it just becomes, how do I get rid of these guilty feelings? And okay, if I give in right now, then I won't feel so guilty. So I'll feel better. But it obviously creates more problems in the long term. Oh, absolutely. And then again, I love how these things so go together. Because the related to this is another don't, um, don't shield your child from pain. Right. We don't want our kids to hurt. We don't want them to feel bad. We don't want them to fail. Right. So this is a big don't. It's so hard to watch kids struggle, but when they can go through struggles and they can deal with disappointment or they figure out, OK, I can handle being sad. It gives them lots of confidence that later in life, OK, I can handle it. Or when I get fired from a job or I am going through this painful breakup, I'll be OK because they have gone through other things and they've built confidence that they have skills and that that pain isn't the worst thing in the world. And I think in our world today, we 
all just want to avoid pain. We've gotten so used to staying inside our comfort zones or not doing anything that challenges us that we're raising kids who think that pain is terrible, awful, and has to be avoided at all costs. And because of that, then they're actually suffering even more in the long term. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's about like inoculate, inoc, you, you know, what's in a, give me the, can you count me with the word uh, when we get a shot, right? We're inoculating. There we go. Inoculating from a, uh, we get, <laughs> we get a flu shot, right? And pe- but a lot of people know, not everyone knows is that we, you get a little bit of the flu and you get a little bit of the flu to fight the big flu. And when I think of pain and I think of your story of, wow, did you have massive doses of pain that you had to experience with your losses in a too short period of time. Um, you, I, I just imagine that um, as you're writing this and talking to people, it's like how important it is for people to be able to know that they can feel some degree of pain and push through it. So when the big things come, they have this foundation. That's just it. You know, right now, happiness is sort of all the rage. Everybody wants to be happy all the time. And what we don't know is, yeah, you can't be happy all the time. And it's okay to be sad. And it's okay to go through all of these normal human emotions. In fact, those emotions can be healing. And take grief, for instance, our tendency is to try to go around the pain. We don't want to go through it because it hurts. But grief is the process by which we heal. And so whether you are going through a tough time in your family, or you're going through a divorce, or you're child has to deal with something in life, you're moving to a different part of the country and he has to say goodbye to his friends, that all of those emotions that he can go through don't have to necessarily be traumatizing or hold him back. Instead, you can use those as experiences to say, yes, that's uncomfortable, but you can stand it. You're stronger than you think. Right. You can handle it. Because I think a lot of times yes. there's the I can't, like I can't get through this. And it's, and it's just like, it's hard, but you can. Yes. And it's, you know, your attitude when you go through tough times obviously plays a huge role and that things become a self-fulfilling prophecy when you think I can't handle getting rejected, so I won't even try, or I can't handle the anxiety I'd feel giving a speech, so I just won't even attempt to it to do it then it keeps you stuck because you just don't have the confidence that you can that you can go through painful things or that you can do things that are really hard so some people parent out of guilt which is a don't um some people um also do this thing called uh parenting out of fear and one of your don'ts is don't allow fear to dictate your choices I see a lot of parents in my therapy office who will say, okay, if I, if I say no to this, I, you know, I don't want my child to go on a field trip, so I'll just say no because I'd be worried. What could happen when they're out of my sight or if they left the school grounds, what could possibly happen to them? Or they'll say no to other things because they'll say, I don't want my child to be mad at me, so, so I'll do whatever I can because I'm afraid that if my child gets mad at me, then we won't have a good relationship or that he, she won't like me anymore. And when you make choices out of fear, it's not necessarily what's in your child's best interest. And for parents to know, parenting is scary sometimes, and it's supposed to be. And letting your child out there and and doing things where things could go wrong, yeah, that's a scary thing. But sometimes that's exactly what your child needs is to go out there and go on adventures and to, to try new things on their own without you hovering over them. Oh, hovering. 
Uh, so hovering, uh, we think about helicopter parents, right? And then uh, right. I read an article not that long ago. Have you heard of the term um, snowplow parents? I have. I just heard that recently. Isn't that fascinating? So everyone who's listening, since you don't want to be this parent, so we all know helicopter parents are hovering. Um, and now the snowplow parent who uh, figuratively goes to college with their kids and calls professors and plows the ski run to make sure it's nice and smooth so their kids continue to be successful. It's like, oh, no, this robs them of, right, this this opportunity for strength and resiliency and independence. Right. And, you know, that's exactly what you don't want to do is you don't want your child to have a really smooth ride in life because at some point there's going to be something that you can't control and your child's going to have to deal with it. And you want them to have already built up all those skills so they can deal with those major things when they happen. Which which takes us to another don't. Don't prevent your child from making mistakes. This one can be a tough one. I'll see a lot of parents who will say, okay, I have to correct my child's math homework before he goes to school tomorrow because I wouldn't want him to have a mistake on his paper. Or I'll see a child who I'm working with who maybe is having a tough time with friends and the parent has to intervene to say, no, this is how you need to deal with it and gives the child lots of instructions. And... When we do that, kids don't get an opportunity to learn from their own mistakes or they develop this mindset that mistakes are bad and Mm -hmm. that instead of learning from mistakes, you should hide them or you should disguise them or minimize them or pretend it didn't happen. And I think that's dangerous territory as adults. Obviously, we all mess up quite frequently, but you need to be able to own it and then learn from it. And if you just start thinking, okay, mistakes are bad, I shouldn't have done that, then you'll be more apt to say, okay, that didn't happen, or I don't know what you're talking about. And and then you can't learn from things unless you acknowledge that it happened. Yeah, and I, I have this image of, is that the movie, uh, is it Bad Moms or Bad Mommy? Did you did you see that movie at all? No. Um, uh-huh. it, it, there's an image of, it's basically making fun of this thing where um, the, this one mom in particular would do the school, the child's project. And it was always this over the top, like bust of someone's head. And to the point that the parents would just come up to the mom and say, hey, really nice project you did this year. And she'd say, thanks. You know, just making fun <laughs> of this whole thing of like, like, where do we just let our kids do their thing? Um, and the pressure that is on parents these days related to achievement and college admission and, and grades. And, and do you find, I mean, I imagine you find also on your end of the country, there is a lot of a pre- uh, pressure for achievement and a lot of fear of not, you know, reaching those potentials or, or those schools. And then parents have to really fight stepping in. Yeah, I think it's sort of become the norm that kids have really involved parents. And so a few years ago, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, if a child forgot his homework once in a while or he forgot his soccer cleats for practice, it wasn't a big deal because everybody forgot their stuff sometimes. But then at some point, helicopter parenting started to become the new norm. So parents were always stepping in and making sure kids didn't mess up. So now if a child forgets something, it can just feel like, oh my gosh, my child's going to now be really far behind or this is going to be disastrous. And I think it puts pressure on all parents to say, okay, I have to be become much more overly involved than I would have ever been because just to keep my kid in a level playing field. And, you know, certainly there is a lot of pressure to get into a good college or, and there's, there's a real definite 
it's a real thing. It's not just something that parents are making up. It's important for kids to go to a good college if they want a certain career. But on the other hand, what good does it do for them to get into a top college if they don't have the skills to to deal with stress or to manage them their emotions when parents aren't right there doing it for them? Unless they are snowplow parents, and then they just could keep it longer until they get into their career, right? It just, I mean, I'm only being half facetious, right? So it's like, it's where oh, absolutely. do we And, you know, stop? they're finding parents are attending their kids' job interviews with them, or parents are negotiating salaries on their kids' behalf. So I think we're just extending it later and later. It used to be that parents were involved until the end of high school, and then it became more like college. And now I think we're seeing it into their early 20s or early in people's career. Wow. I guess we're going to do we have a new term for that one when we get out of college and we're into the career force? Yeah, I don't know that we do yet, but I bet it's coming soon. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Any of you out there, this is an opportunity for a new term. Um, okay, so this also then totally dovetails to one of your other don'ts, which is don't let your child avoid responsibility. Yeah, I think it's easy sometimes to say, oh, I just want my kid to be a kid, so I'm not going to make you do chores or I'm not going to expect you to to do things around the house. I'm not going to expect you to know when to do your homework. I'll make sure I manage all of that for you. But in reality, we do kids a disservice. Studies will show that the amount of chores a child does at the age of four can be one of their biggest predictors of their success as an adult. And that it could just be as easy as saying, here's your nightly chores and I expect you to do them. And when we set those expectations that we expect you to work hard, we expect you to get things done, kids grow up knowing that they're capable. And that's really important for them to develop that belief in themselves to know, I can make a difference. I can I can contribute to the world. Here's the things I can do. And I think just just as simple as giving them chores can really shift their mindset about who they are and, and their place in the world. Absolutely. And I and I think that this other don't that you have also plays into this, this don't um, let your children um, have power over you. And I think a lot of parents end up making, I don't know, get, you know, become afraid of child's big emotions or pushing back and then um, inadvertently, like, don't hold kids accountable for these behaviors that will actually help them become healthy adults. Yeah, we're seeing a shift, you know, sort of in family hierarchies over the years that for a while it was authoritarian parents who who were the boss, it's my way or the highway. And then the pendulum kind of shifted. And now as parents, we're understanding, okay, it's important to show kids that we value their opinion and that they have an important role in the family. But some people have taken that too far and it's become more like a democracy. The kids get to vote on what you eat for dinner, where you're going on vacation, whether the family should move across the country. I've seen a lot of those sorts of things where in my therapy office where parents will come in when when their child's a teenager saying he's out of control, but it's really because the parent hasn't taken charge over the first 16 years of their child's life. So it's no wonder when they're teenagers that kids think, you know, you're not my boss because parents haven't been a very mm-hmm. good leader for the first half of their life so far. You know, and where this resonates in the work that... Um that I also do as a therapist with uh, kids of all ages and parents, there's a difference between giving, helping, allowing kids to feel valued, especially as they get older, teenagers, you know, like where they're going to go to school, like input, you know, have them have input versus making the actual decision, right? There's a difference between those two. 
yeah, you can validate your child's emotions. You can say, I really care about your opinion and then still say, and I'm going to, as an adult, I'm going to make the wisest decision for our family. And you may not always agree with it as a child. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of uh, one of the books, one of the greater books of all time, A Road Less Traveled, I think, by Scott Peck. I even remember long before I had children of my own seeing the uh, his piece on parenting where he said, you know, it's not really about whether you say yes or no to what your child's requesting. It's actually that they know that you've taken the time to really consider it because they matter. Like that was yes. more important than the actual yes or no. I think that's there's so much wisdom in that, as I think kids just want to know that you've heard them and that you care what they think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to hit one last don't, and I think this is really important, so I'm interested to hear your take on this. Don't par- uh, Parents don't lose sight of their values. And this one can be a tough one because I think in in our modern society, it's so easy to get caught up in the, the competition aspect of parenting to think, okay, I've got to make sure that my child is the, the smartest kid in the class or that my child is the, the fastest runner on the team. And it, especially over social media, that parents get caught up into showing off pictures of their family vacations or they end up thinking that it's a race or some sort of competition with with other families and it just becomes easy easy to lose sight of well what's really important in life and do you really value achievement over kindness do you really value uh, making sure that your kid's the brightest kid in the class versus being the kindest kid and and it's okay if that's what you value but just make sure that you know what your values are and that you're instilling those values in your kids and and i think if you really make that uh a priority in your life, your kids will learn and they'll adopt the same values as you for the most part. But research will show kids are really confused about what their parents value in today's world. So if there was one thing that you would suggest to parents listening, and I know this is not always an easy question, but if there's one thing to have them focus on, what would, what would you suggest a parent do or don't do? Hmm. Well, I guess, you know, I think that not losing sight of your values is probably one of the most important things. And so I encourage families to create a mission statement could just be one simple sentence that says, this is what our family is about, whether it is our family is going to be kind to other people, or our family loves each other and respects each other at all costs, whatever it is, but to come up with a just a simple sentence. And then I've had I've worked with families who stencil it on the wall or other families that write it on the refrigerator. And and then that just brings them back to, okay, what's really important in our lives? And their decisions become easier, whether they're trying to decide where to go on that family vacation or how to spend a, a Saturday afternoon together. It, it just becomes simpler and life becomes a little bit clearer and it's and they aren't as likely to get, get lost in all the other things and activities that are going on in the world when they know these are the things that are most important to us. Nice. Lead with values. Nice. Yes. Okay. So it's time for our parent footprint moment question. And Amy is going to tell us about her parent footprint moment when she became aware of something about herself as an individual or as a parent. And that new awareness had a positive impact on her child. I'm thinking of this time I had a a teenage girl. She was 14 and uh, was living with us. She was a foster child. And um, 
had been kicked out of lots of foster homes and had never had opportunities to do a lot of normal things that kids get to do. And her state-appointed guardian had said, do you want to go to camp this summer? And she said, oh, I'd love to go to go to summer camp. And it was going to be for a week. And um, she'd never been away to an overnight camp before. And as they were talking about this, my anxiety level was shooting through the roof. I was thinking there's no way that this kid can go to a, a summer camp with it wasn't a, a camp for therapeutic foster kids. It was going to be a camp for all kinds of kids. And she had a, she had some problems. She had some quirks that other children may not appreciate. She bragged a lot. She talked about herself constantly and she didn't like it when people said certain things. And I thought, you know, this isn't going to work out. She's going to get into a fight. She'll get sent home early. And I just kept thinking this isn't going to work because the kids at school, she was in a small special classroom and the kids at school had sort of accepted those quirks. But I'm thinking this group of strangers, it's not going to work out. And of course, the funny part is in my therapy office, I work on this all the time about don't parent out of fear and you have to let your kids do things. And But yet <laughs> I know that knowing it and doing it are two very separate things. And so here I am in my own life thinking I can't, I can't stand this because I'll be too anxious and I'm predicting all of this doom and gloom. And but her guardian didn't ask me. She just asked the child if she wanted to go. So it really wasn't up to me anyway. But, you know, over the course of a few days and talking to my husband, we were able to to come to that conclusion of, okay, it is what it is and we'll send her because it could be good for her. And of course it was. She went away and for the first time in her life had the opportunity to, to be around other kids who didn't know she was a foster child. And she got along with all the other kids wonderfully. She had a great time, the time of her life. And it was just another one of those reminders for me of, okay, <laughs> knowing it and doing it are, are not always the same thing. It's easy to, to tell other people and it's easy to list these things. But at the same time, it's important to make sure that I'm still aware of my own habits and, and that I'm living these things. And so that I can say to myself, okay, this is scary to me, but good for her. And I'm going to do it anyway. And it was just, I guess, one of those big reminders of, that you always have to be aware of yourself and your emotions and, and knowing how your feelings are going to affect your parenting decisions. Yeah. Wonderful example of, of the awareness and creating the space to know the difference between like what we're thinking and feeling and then waiting before we just act on it. Right. And so just exactly. knowing, yeah. So, uh, and that's wonderful that she had that great experience where she got to experience herself and I'm sure uh, others in a different way because of that. Yes, absolutely. I, I know it was really good for her in the long run to go. So I'm so glad that she was able to have that opportunity. Amy, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, it's great to have you and hear about your approach and your don'ts. I urge everyone listening to go get 13 things mentally strong parents don't do, raising self-assured children and training their brains for a life of happiness, meaning, and success. And you guys, what's great about this book, among other things, is there are practical strategies and specific strategies to build mental muscle and to help your kids develop into healthy, strong adults, right? Focus on what our job is to raise these healthy people in the future. Uh, Amy, where can people continue to find your wonderful writings and videos and lectures and everything? Uh, the best place to go is my website, which is Amy Morin, LCSW, as in licensed clinical social worker.com. Check her out, everyone. Amy, thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, thanks so much for having me. 
Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. Continue to be the person you want your child to become. Focus on awareness and using that awareness to parent with purpose and intention. And as always, think about this guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave?